0: James chapter two. My brethren, have not the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come into your assembly a man with gold ring, with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that weareth the fine clothing, and say unto him, Sit here in a good place, and say to the poor, stand there That stand thou there. Or sit here under my footstool. Are you not then per- partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren. Have not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he had promised to them that love him? But you have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you, draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme the worthy name by which you are called? If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if you have respect of persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if you commit no adultery, yet if you kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he, that, for he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth, rejoiceth against judgment.
1: What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, and be warmed, and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say to you, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works." You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by his works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also.
0: You may be seated.
1: Good morning. Good
2: morning. Now, would you pray with me as we begin our study in the Word? Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your Word that you have placed before us. Father, we give you praise for your instruction. We give you praise for your correction, for your rebuke, for your Moving us to see your truth, to open our eyes, to hear, to walk in the way of understanding. Father, you've given to us so much. And this morning as we open your word to James chapter 2, I pray, Father, that our hearts, our minds would be attentive to hear, to take in, to absorb this truth. Father, we would be awakened to what it means to walk by faith, what it means to have faith. Father, I pray that you would teach us through your spirit this morning, and that as we hear from you, we would be then desirous to go forward and to be a doer of this word. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Many of you were at a convention this weekend. I know, because I saw a lot of you on Friday. Roaming around, scurrying around, doing lots of jobs, coordinating people, walking up and down the exhibit hall. And you know, I enjoy the opportunity to be able to find good books and from time to time I, I will go into a bookstore perhaps like a, uh, a discounted store and they have a, just a potpourri of books and things there on the shelf and some, I always like to find the clearance section and sometimes in the clearance section you'll find these, these little booklets, these little pamphlets that have their, their, their answer keys and they're, they're almost free. In fact, I think it almost says that, almost free. And, and they're almost ready to give those answer keys away. It's just the answer key. There's nothing that goes with it. Says just you open it up, and it's a bunch of answers. It's not all that helpful just to buy the answer key. Now, if you happen to have the book somewhere that goes with the answer key, it's a great purchase. It's a great find. But the answer key by itself isn't going to help you any, is it? It's pretty worthless. Why? Because it's meant to go with something. You know, the other day I was looking and, and, and realized that, um, in fact, I think it was uh, one, of the, uh, one of the gifts that were uh, um, given from a few weeks ago. Kaylin, thank you for your, one of your contributions in your, in your, in your family. It was a shower head. Oh, was a nice shower head. And what's a shower head do? What's, when, when someone made the shower head what's the goal behind it the goal is is that there there are a couple other things that need to happen for that shower head to work like it's supposed to work right there needs to be proper fixture to the pipes right thread it in put it up there but what else needs to happen there has to be what going through the pipes water water so when you turn that knob on for the water to come the water comes through the pipes and it's supposed to come shooting out through the shower head but you know if you just have a shower head and you don't have anything to go with it it's pretty pretty meaningless object really there I mean I'm sure you young boys creative as you are you might be able to come up with some purpose for that shower head maybe but it was intended for a purpose. It was intended to go with something else. It was intended that it would work in such a way as long as it was coordinated with something else. You see that answer key is pretty useless without the corresponding questions. Textbook. Study guide. That showerhead is worthless apart from having the pipes that connect and having the water to flow through the showerhead. Church, this morning I put those two things forward. Those are two things that we can relate to. Two things we're, we're aware of that connect us to the text. They point us to the text this morning. And I would want you to realize that, that the faith we hold to in Jesus Christ, the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. That's what James says in chapter 2 verse 1. He intended, it's it's intended, this faith is intended by God to manifest works. Do you realize that? The faith of our Lord Jesus Christ is intended to manifest works. One of the questions out of the gate this morning perhaps that can be asked, is there anything, let's take the shower head for just a moment, is there anything flowing out of your life right now? Anything of Christ? Is the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ manifesting itself in works? Are there works befitting a life in Christ flowing out of you this morning? That's the message James is communicating this morning in chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Faith without works doesn't work. Faith without works doesn't work. We're going to come back. We're going to repeat that a few times throughout the message. That's the big idea. It doesn't work in that it's missing something which ought to be there. Works. See, faith absent of works is a lot like that answer key without the textbook and the questions. It's useless. Absent. It's another way of saying what James has already spoken in chapter 1, that your religion is useless. Religion that is useless. The text today addresses the life that ought to be in Christ. And so let's be clear, James is not advocating that the Christian just needs to add some works to his faith. That's not what he's talking about. The contrast in the text is not whether one has faith or whether one has works. The contrast is whether one has faith and works versus the one who does not have faith and works. In writing these words, James is concerned that some have strayed from the faith. And so just as James chapter 2 verse 1 began last week's message, I believe it also fits this week's message, you might ask how so. Well, the call last week was for the church not to hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with what? Partiality for favoritism, right? Contextually, I believe James here at the last part of chapter 2, he's also exhorting the church not to hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ absent of works. Last week's charge was to not allow something to mix in with this faith gifted to us by God. What was that that was being added to? It was this favoritism, this partiality. This week's charge is to see that something be rightfully included with our faith. Works. Partiality, we saw last week, had crept in. And James says that the faith of our Lord granted to you has no place for such actions. It was a stop it. Don't do that. In the text for today, the faith itself is being addressed to the church. Faith is brought to the forefront, assuming assuming works to be a natural response, a rightful outworking, a picture of what ought to be in the life of one who follows Jesus. Faith without works doesn't work. You know, as we read through the text this morning, I'd like to show you how this is so. Not only does such a faith not work, I would want to make clear that I'm not simply saying it doesn't work from a pragmatic sense. Okay? The faith once entrusted to the saints. The faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. This faith doesn't work apart from works. So it moves from a pragmatic not working to a faith that, listen, that cannot work apart from works. It cannot work because faith is intended to bear fruits worthy of repentance. It's intended to put on display evidence outwardly of the inward change. The faith spoken of in the Bible is a faith that takes what happened on the inside, i.e. the new creation, right? What happened on the inside, take what happened on the inside and unmistakably translate that to the outside, walking in newness of life. Do you see that? It's what happened on the inside. Paul talks about being a new creation in Christ, And translating that, living that out, the output ought to be then that there is a walking, living in newness of life. Do you see that? So with that in mind, as a preface to the text, let's look at the opening set of questions. Verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? What advantage, what profit is there in a faith that is emptied of works? Can such a faith like that one described in the first question, can that kind of faith without works save him? Now, James here is posing two questions. But I want you to see that they're connected questions. What profit is it, brethren, for one to hold to the faith and yet not have works? The second question further defines the answer James is expecting. In fact, the very structure of the second question implies a negative answer. Can such a faith save him? A... Such a faith as this cannot save him. That's really the rendering. (laughs) That's the idea. No, it can't. To help the listener understand the truth of this faith they hold to, James presents an illustration. What are the purposes and places in scripture for illustrations? Illustrations, what do they do? They help the listener understand the truth that's being put forward. Okay? So he's going to give an illustration. Verses 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food. And one of you says to them, depart in peace. Be warmed and filled. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Now... Through the illustration, what is James teaching? Whether it is a brother or a sister, naked, the term implies not necessarily no clothing whatsoever, but very little. And the little that this brother or sister has on is is very worn, shabby in appearance. Or whether this person is without food. The truth that's being presented here, I believe, is pretty clear. Listen, your words alone, if not mixed with actions, are of no profit. Do you see that in the illustration? Your words alone, depart in peace, be warm, be filled. God bless you. Have a great day. Without action, they're of no profit if you see a brother in need and all you do is wish him well with your lips, by the way, that depart in peace has in mind that idea of shalom. You familiar with shalom? Peace be with you? The Jew would have understood that, the Jewish listener. But part of shalom was also used in the context of, it was, it was used also in the context of ending a conversation. Shalom. It was to indicate Conversation's over. Shalom. Depart in peace. If that's all we do, church, send them on the way. By the way, he's talking about a brother or a sister. Okay, let's be clear. We had this little conversation just just briefly in our home. What about the guy beside the road who's holding up a sign? Okay, good question. James is not talking about that kind of person necessarily. It's a brother or sister. This is someone who is in the Lord. There's a need in the church. Remember, he's addressing a scattered flock here. Many of the people who are scattered are what? Are they rich? No, they're not. They're poor. And James is reminding the church about taking care, first and foremost, of her own. Paul says that in Galatians. Let us not give up doing good, especially to what household faith. If we operate that way, in the way that this illustration. Presents, depart in peace, and we don't make any attempt to meet any of the need. We're operating according to a faith that's really, according to the Bible, it's really not faith at all. That's what, I, that's what I'm seeing here. In fact, first John chapter 3, 17 and 18 says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him? How does the love of God abide in him? Ooh. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue. Shalom, depart in peace. Be warm, be filled. But in deed and in truth. You see, be warm, the idea of this, this brother, sister needs some clothing. Be filled this brother or sister needs some food. The speech put forth in the illustration recognizes that the brother or sister has needs and yet no effort is made to see the slightest need met. And you're sitting here and you may be thinking, well, I can't meet all the needs of everybody. And that's true. Absolutely not. You can't. But each of us together, we can all do something. It's all goes back to our heart. What does it profit? Did you notice that in verse 14 it begins with that what profit? The words does it are implied in the text or are carried over in the text. They're not in the original language. So really it would read what profit? And then verse 16 ends in that same manner. What profit? What profit? The question is being placed alongside the illustration. And just as the questions are easy to answer there in verse 14... So, too, I believe the illustration is easy to get. James is drawing the listener back to the point as he gets to verse 17. Thus also, after he gives the illustration, he's coming back to the point. Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Sort of like that answer key. If you just have the answer key and you don't have anything to go with, it, the answer key is intended to go with something. Faith is intended... The Bible teaching us... Faith is intended to have something with it. It works together with works. I was reminded of the... parable of the Good Samaritan... in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10... and 29 through 37. You might recall that there was a certain man... who, who fell among thieves... along the road... and they stripped him of his clothes... They beat him in a bad way and left him for dead. And by the way, this teaching of Jesus is, comes on the heels of, of a man wondering who his neighbor is. Remember that? Who, who is my neighbor? So Jesus tells this story. Well, not long after that, this man, this priest, comes down the road. A priest. You know, as we read the story, we think a priest, oh, good. One of the good guys is coming down the road. But if we know the parable, we know that the result isn't what we would expect from a priest. One of God's men. What's he do? He sees him and he goes to the other side of the road, doesn't he? Well, not long after that, there's another man that comes by, a Levite. He comes over here and does the same thing. And then Jesus says, there's another guy that comes down this road. This man's still laying off the side of the road. Nobody's done a thing to say, they've seen him. They've seen him lying there. And instead of meeting that need, instead of trying to help this man who's been badly beaten. Now there's a, Jesus says, there's a Samaritan that comes. Praise God, there's another one that comes, a Samaritan of all people in the text, a Samaritan. And he passed by and he sees how badly this man has been beaten. The Bible says he has compassion. And he goes over to the man and he pours wine and oil and he's bandaging the wounds. And he takes the man up and he puts him up on his donkey and he takes him to the local inn. And he has conversation with the innkeeper and says, hey... I don't know how bad things are here, but here's some money to help take care of this man's needs. And if you need any more, I'll be back town and I'll be glad to pay you more if there's more that needs to be paid. What's the point of the parable? I think when you get to the end of the parable, you see this word mercy come forth. Out of the three who passed by, which one loved their neighbor? we see that it was the man who poured out mercy. And Jesus says to call us to go and do likewise. And isn't it interesting, as we're looking at James 14 through 26, that James has just finished talking about mercy. Do you remember what he said? Look at verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with partiality. But he's going on in 14 to 26. And he's saying this. Do not hold the faith of our Lord in some careless, useless way either. Do not for one moment think that the faith is wrapped up in your fine sounding words, in your plastic smiles, in your pious attire, in your privileged positions, i.e. priest Levite. That's not faith. And in the manner of the Apostle Paul, as we were going through the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul did this quite often. He anticipates what people might be thinking. He anticipates what people might be saying. As he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, he puts a scenario forth. What someone might say in rebuttal to what he's already spoken. So look at verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Now, I'm not sure here whether James has some particular someone in mind. text doesn't tell us. But he presents a scenario to work through whereby this someone declares a position that one has faith while another has works. And James doesn't let it go by the wayside. He says, show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Let's put it on the table, he says to this particular someone. Let's put these things to the test. If someone actually believes that he can see a brother in need and send him away without meeting any of those needs, how is this brother any different than the priest or Levite who passed by on the other side of the road, not wanting to get themselves all dirty and muddy and messy and entangled in this man's affairs? James elaborates on this in verse 19. He says, you believe that there is one God. You do well. Now, that statement, you do well, might, if you don't read any further, it might, it might, might sound like a compliment. You do well. Or another way to say that would be rightly so. You believe there is one God. Rightly so. Good. But he goes on and he says, even the demons believe and tremble. You know, this is a a verse that gets put forward on many occasions. But in context, James is showing how foolish it is to simply believe in God. Remember that for the Jewish listener. Remember that Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Would have been very familiar. Hear, O Israel. Remember that? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. James is acknowledging the depth of their belief here in verse 19. Look what he's doing here. First, he recognizes that they believe in one God and says, you do well. All right, great job. Sounds like a compliment on the surface. But when you keep reading the verse, there seems to be some sarcasm, if you will. Even the demons believe and tremble. So what's James saying? What's the point of what he's getting at here? You hold to one God. That's great. What's the effect of holding to one God in your life? How does hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, make a difference in your life? What's it doing for you? The fact that you know that to be true, how is it affecting your living? How does one's doctrine and beliefs affect behavior and actions? Is following church, it, it causes us to ask some questions. Is following Jesus about compiling all the right doctrines in this lifetime? Have we reduced following Jesus to the trivial pursuit of accumulating right doctrines? Knowing just the right things. James makes a statement here that that ought to just... Drop us to our knees. Listen to what he says. Even the demons believe and tremble. If you're operating under the pretense that your faith is embodied in a doctrine, you share similar footing with the demons. Do we hear that? That's what what the Bible says here. James acknowledges that the demons have this kind of faith. They believe there's one God. But notice what else the demons do, according to James. It's not... Just the fact that he's equating, this kind of faith, this empty, shallow faith without works, no different than the demons. They believe, but he goes on a step further. He says they tremble. They believe there's one God and they tremble. They tremble. The word expresses this high degree of awe or terror. You might think of the hair standing on end. They tremble. So the demons believe in one God and listen and act a certain way as a result of what they believe about God. Even the demons are acting out what they know to be true of God. So in some sense, James. He takes it a step further than just saying, hey, you're you're operating in the same camp as the demons If you just hold to believing in God. He's also, I believe, pointing out that the demons might truly be ahead of you in terms of the fact they are acting on what they believe. Mark chapter 1. If you turn in your Bibles, Mark chapter 1. Right in the beginning of Mark's gospel, this, this first chapter just is like, a, whew, Jesus is doing all kinds of things. Starts out with John the Baptist. John baptizes Jesus. Satan tempts Jesus. And in, in Mark fashion, it just things go from this to this to this. And then we get to verse 21. He's in Capernaum. And on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue. People were astonished at his teaching. Rightly so, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Now we get to verse 23. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out. Listen to what he says. Saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Notice, the unclean spirit knows him by name. That's the first thing I want you to get. Okay, we keep reading. Did you come to destroy us? Right here, this unclean spirit is hinting at the purpose, the very purpose of Jesus' arrival. What's one of the purposes in the scripture of Jesus' arrival? Did he not come to destroy the works of the devil? He's not done. I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Not only does he identify him by name, but the unclean spirit identifies Jesus in connection with God. Do you realize how many people today do not connect those dots at all? I had a conversation this past week with one who wanted to hold on to God and wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And I had to tell her, it doesn't work that way. You can't have God without Jesus. You can't have Jesus without God. You can't have God without the Holy Spirit. You can't have the Holy Spirit without God and without Jesus. Do you see they work together? Church, this is so important to see. The demons tremble. Absolutely, they tremble. They know who Jesus is. And they act on that. Do you see how faith without works doesn't work? Keep looking at the text. James brings the listener back to the point once again. But do you want to know, verse 20. I love the way that begins. Do you want to know, oh foolish man? Ouch. Do you want to know that faith without works is dead? ...or useless? Another way to render that would be... ...are you willing to hear? See, you you can't speak nice words... ...and leave, leave out love, church. Nor can you profess a popular doctrine... ...and rest content that all is well now... ...between you and God... ...because you have this doctrine all locked up. James is asking whether you want to know about this faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone here, he says, willing to hear what the word has to say about this faith of our Lord Jesus Christ? James is not done. He keeps pressing the point. As if he's not already made his point, he puts two character witnesses forward, okay? Before the listener. Witnesses, listen, these witnesses are going to dispel the faith without works idea. And these witnesses are going to serve instead... To point the listener to faith with works. Faith working together with works. This is what faith is. So the first person he puts forward is Abraham. Look at verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Speaking to a Jewish Christian audience, James puts father Abraham forward first as the one... Who was justified by his works. Justified by works. This takes us church back to Genesis chapter 22. Where God tests Abraham. You remember the account. He calls Abraham to take his only son. The promised son Isaac. Up Mount Moriah. And there on the mountain Abraham is directed by God to offer up his only son as a burnt offering. Abraham, according to the text, obeys, walks up that mountain, prepares the altar with wood, and bounds. And I don't know, you know, the text doesn't tell us all the details, but I just wonder. I wonder what kind of conversation was going on between Abraham and Isaac. As he's tying up Isaac on the altar. We talk a lot about the faith of Abraham, but church, I, based on what the, what the account is in the text, I tend to believe that this young man, Isaac, had much faith as well. Before he can lay a hand on the boy, God shows up and he says in verse 12 of chapter 22 in Genesis now I know you fear God since you have not withheld your son your only son from me and then a few verses later we read these words in verse 18 he says God says in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed here it is why because you have obeyed my voice all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you Abraham have obeyed my voice because you have obeyed My voice, because you have practiced being a doer of my word, not a hearer only, because you are more concerned about what I say than what anyone else says or thinks. Do you see that the blessing comes as a result of Abraham's obedience? And we look back to James chapter 2, verse 22, and he says, Do you see? Do you see? Do you see that faith? Was working together with his works. There it is. Talking about Abraham. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. Was made complete. Church, do you see it? Do you see it? It's important that you see it. God desires for each of you to see it. Faith working together with works. This is characteristic of Abraham's life, his life on the mountain in Genesis 22. His faith was working together with works. Now, stay with me as you turn backwards to page, James chapter 1. It says, My brethren, verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its what? Perfect work. Now you may be perfect, mature, complete, lacking, nothing. You see, God is doing something through your trial. Some of you here today are in the midst of a trial. Maybe there's several trials going on in your life. But you're no stranger to the trial. Instead of throwing in the towel, realize that the trial is meant to test you. The trial is meant to produce patience, perseverance, endurance... The trial, though difficult, is intended to have its perfect work in us. That we might be conformed to Christ. That we might be mature in him. In short, the trial is intended to complete us in Christ. For Abraham, his faith was made perfect by what? By his works. What works? His obedience to God's voice. His willingness to do what God told him to do. And some of you might say, to use the language of James here in the text, but someone will say, easy for Abraham. God was talking with him. I mean, if God spoke to me that way, I'd I'd walk up that mountain too. Really? Really? By saying that, you are discounting that God still speaks today. If you've got to have it that way, you've got to have the way Abraham had it. Is God's word, because it's not packaged in the same way from God to Abraham, is God's word silent today? Is God not speaking? What about his word, church? He, has he not given to you his revelation? His word? What about his spirit in you, Church? You see, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you can be assured that he is speaking and what the Spirit speaks, here's what he speaks. He speaks only Christ, always Christ, all Christ. It's, it's the 24 hours, you know, they got these radio stations today and it always amazes me. They got the, all this specialization, all this stuff. You wanna listen to this, you can have this station right here and it's gonna be all this for 24 hours. You know what? If you have the Spirit in you, guess what? It's gonna be 24 hours. Spirit's gonna give you nothing but words of Christ. That's all He speaks. That's what the Bible says. If you read John 14, 15, and 16, you learn a lot about the Holy Spirit. You learn a lot about who he is, about how he rolls, how his function it works within you. Spirit can do nothing, can speak nothing, other than what Christ has spoken. So back to Abraham for just a moment. If Abraham's faith was made perfect by works, then is it safe to say that his walk up that mountain was worth it? Is walking with God, going where he leads, is it worth all the trouble that it might cost you? I believe James would answer with a resounding, yes, yes it is. One writer said that Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son not only showed his faith to be real. Listen, but also through the obedience, his faith actually grew up. Did you get that? It, through his obedience, his faith actually grew up. Abraham's faith was not mature to its zenith until he acted. And in the process, here's, listen to what happened. In the process, he learned more about God's character further bolstering his faith, his trust in God. And so James continues speaking to Abraham's faith and works. Look at verse 23, James chapter 2. Stay with me. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Now, one of the questions of the text, as you're working through the text, in what sense was the scripture fulfilled? You know, when you think of scripture being fulfilled, oftentimes you think of something spoken back here in the past, and then some event or word spoken in the present, which fulfills what was previously spoken, i.e. Isaiah 53, like a lamb led to the slaughter, right? Isaiah the prophet. Well, that was back here, right? And we see it fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ as he's about to go the way of the cross. Or the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Right? Isaiah 61, but Jesus himself spoke those words in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He read those in the hearing of those gathered at the synagogue today, and he sat down, and these words have been fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled those words. He was embodying those words to his audience that day. As James brings Genesis 15, verse 6... To bear on his instruction to the church. By the way, Abraham, that, that part of verse 23, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's Genesis 15, 6. Okay, make sure we understand that. James is bringing Genesis 15, 6 to bear on the instruction to the church. He's, he's doing so, showing how Abraham's belief provides the context for his works. The scripture was fulfilled in the sense that Abraham lived what he believed. The scripture was fulfilled in the sense that Abraham obeyed the voice of God when he spoke. Faith is always working together with works. And by works, faith is made perfect in the life of one following Jesus. Do you see that, church? Faith is made perfect in the life of one following Jesus. But someone will say, Genesis 15, 6, wait a minute. Those of you that know your Bible, you know Genesis 15:6, not just found right here in James. But Genesis 15 6, that's used by Paul. Paul uses Genesis 15:6. In fact, he uses it a couple times. Galatians chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, and 4. Predominantly Romans 4, but there's a hint of it in, in chapter 3. And when I read those passages, it seems to contradict what James is saying. See, that's one of the big theological questions that oftentimes comes to the surface when we get to this text. How could James say one's justified by works? Paul says you're justified by faith alone. I have a little secret to let you in on. Where the Bible seems to contradict itself, it's nothing more than a lack of understanding on our end. The Bible is true, church, from beginning to end. If you do not hold to that, in fact, it is without error, completely true. If you don't hold to that, it's going to become easy to doubt, to poke holes at certain portions of the scripture or simply treat the word as you might a buffet line. I, I like chocolate cream pie, but I don't care for those oatmeal raisin cookies. I like this turkey, but I don't really care for the uh, the barbecue. And you just pick and choose down the line what you're going to take, put on your plate. We can't do that with the word. We can't do that. We must not do that with the word. Galatians chapter 3. Turn with me for just a moment. I want you to see some of these things. It's important for us to understand as we live this faith. I'll start in verse verse two. He he actually calls them foolish Galatians in verse one, chapter three. Somebody's bewitched him, he said. He says, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit? Notice that. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And when you hear that hearing of faith, I hope you're reminded of Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by what? The word of God. Okay? Did you receive the Spirit by the works of law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Are you completed by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, listen, he who supplies the Spirit to you And works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And he goes right from that hearing of faith into just as Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Hold that. Turn to Romans. Romans chapter 3, end of Romans chapter 3. I'll pick up in verse 27. This is after this wonderful passage in 21 through 26, right? Talking about all of sin fall short of the glory of God, right? Justified freely by his grace. A wonderful passage. And then 27, he says, where's boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Okay, keep reading. Chapter 4, verse 2, talking about Abraham. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? By the way, just a side note, that's a question that we ought to always be asking ourselves in all of life. What does the scripture say? Put that forward as an asterisk. Here's what the scripture says, verse 3. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. There's Genesis 15, 6. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him, verse 5, who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Keep moving down, Romans chapter 4. Look at verse 19. Talking about Abraham here. And not being weak in faith, he, Abraham, did not consider his own body, although already dead, since he was about 100 years old. Remember, God had told he and Sarah they were going to have a baby. He's 100 years old. Sarah's 90. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. Listen to verse 20. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 21, I love verse 21. One of the best definitions in all scripture of faith. Being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Genesis 15, 6 shows up again. How is it that Genesis 15, 6 can be used to support both Paul and James? James. Both writers are carried along, church, by the Holy Spirit. Both are communicating a particular message to a particular audience. Both come to Genesis fifteen six as evidence of what they're speaking. So what do we take from that? Paul is speaking of justification by faith alone and contrasting that with the works of the law. James is speaking of justification by works alone and contrasting that with what he's called a dead faith. Paul uses justification by faith alone as the entry point into salvation. James uses justification by works as the ongoing evidence and journey of one's salvation. Neither, church, are contradicting each other. Context speaks volumes. You know what I found as I was taking a step back from this and looking at this and studying this? and I just thought it was great. I thought it was great to see that the Holy Spirit is using Genesis 15, 6 to advocate hearing faith of Abraham and at the same time, active works. Do you see that? The same passage of scripture. Paul's using it in one way. James is using it in a different way. It's beautiful to see it. So when you bring the scriptures together, they present not a one or the other mentality. It's not faith. Or works. But faith working together with works. Well, what about in James, as we go back? Chapter, or verse 23. He, he tacks on this phrase, and he was called the friend of God. It seems like an odd statement at the end there. Just like it just got put on there. Abraham, he's a friend of God. In what way is Abraham a friend of God? You know, I was drawn to, uh, to John's gospel here. And in John chapter 15... You can turn there if you want for just a moment. In John chapter 15, uh, there's an important passage of scripture. Remember John 15 context is Jesus is about to go the way of the cross. And John 15, starting in verse 12, listen to what Jesus says. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. He keeps going. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. I want you to think Abraham's obedience to God to climb the mountain. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all the things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. You see, this this love he called for in the lives of his disciples, John 15, is the same love called for today in one following Jesus. While Jesus is no longer here on earth in bodily form teaching like he did in the Gospels, he has poured out his love toward us in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us. Romans 5 verse 5. He's revealed himself to us through his spirit and through his word. And the question remains for us though, are you obeying the Lord's commands in his word? He says, you are my friend if, if what? If you exercise your faith together with your works. If you do what I command. James goes back to the point. One more time. He just keeps... Going back to the point. Going back to the point. You know what? We need the repetition. We need it. We just need it to keep washing over us because a lot of times we don't get it. So verse 24, he comes back to it again. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. He's justified by works, not by faith only. Keep in mind what we just read in Galatians 3, Romans 3 and 4. And once again, James is calling to our attention this faith. Faith without works doesn't work. James 2.25 provides one additional character witness for the listener. And he says, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Now, Rahab ought to immediately, as you're reading the Bible, I'll take you back to Joshua, the book of Joshua. And in the book of Joshua, if you turn back to the book of Joshua, you see um, um, you know, it's right after you've got Exodus numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, right? It fits right there and it's one of the history books. And so Joshua, chapter two, Moses has died. Joshua is taking on leadership. And we see that in verse one, Joshua sends out some spies to go spy out Jericho. And they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab. And they lodged there. Okay, they lodged at her house. And so we... We come to this, this text and we see that Rahab is hiding the men from the king Jericho who hears that some men have come to spy out the land. And so she sends them out another way after they've passed by and she keeps them safe from harm. The thing that's important to note in James 2:25 as we look at Joshua 2 and 3 is that James is assuming something in his text. What is the text assuming in light of the context we've already covered? What's he assuming? In saying that Rahab is justified by works, James is assuming that Rahab has what? Faith. She has faith. Now, to many of us here, we may think, well, she was a harlot. Don't act all pious. You're thinking it. That's who she was. The Bible says that's who she was. Now, it's not mentioned in the James text, anything necessarily about her faith. But it's assumed in putting her forward as an example, she too, like Abraham, remember likewise, like like Abraham, she has faith working together with works. And by her works, her faith too was made perfect. Does the Bible, here's the next question, does the Bible then have anything to say about Rahab that would give us evidence of her faith, evidence of her belief in God? That's where we turn back to Joshua, chapter 8. Excuse me, chapter 2, verses, starting verse 8. Before they lay down on the roof, remember they were, up, they were up there on the top of a roof, and she had them covered up there, and she came up on the roof. Listen to what she says. Verse 9. I know that the Lord has given you the land. You know, these guys probably went up. She probably told them where to go, and then she comes up before they, they, they maybe taking a nap or just keeping quiet or whatever, and she comes up, and, and it's not a... Hey, guys, how you doing? Kind of that initial chit-chat. She just comes right in, what we had before. I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Look at verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. For when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed... You see the picture here she's painting? She's in the know on what's been going on. She's in the know about what God's been doing. And then I love verse 11. And as soon as we heard these things about what God was doing, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. Listen, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Any evidence here of faith of Rahab? And in case you maybe dispute that, you can just turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. Rahab is in the chapter of those who live by faith. By faith. Rahab. Verse 31, chapter 11. Oh, by the way, if that's not enough, Matthew chapter 1. Rahab is also in the genealogy. The line. Christ. James concludes the passage by yet another summing up of the basic point. By the way, just as an asterisk to the two people, this is something that, that came to attention as I was looking at the two character witnesses that were put forward, Abraham and Rahab. It's interesting that the text says, likewise, Rahab. Likewise, I ask, likewise what? They are the, they're not even close to being similar people. You've got Abraham, male, wealthy, prominent, father of many nations. And then you've got Rahab, harlot, Canaanite woman, a woman. Do you see the, the contrast? The contrast couldn't have been more opposite. I mean, when we, we've got a, a spectrum. Abraham's over here. Rahab's over here. What do you think James is doing here as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit? He's using these two people as examples of faith working together with works. What's he saying, perhaps? Could it be that he's saying someone like Abraham, someone like Rahab, and anything, anyone in between? What I'm talking about, James says, applies to this end of the scale all the way down here. Faith operating with works together. And these two lives, here, here are the two endpoints, if you will, on the, on the social scale, right? Economic scale, all of the above. Here are the endpoints. And, and, and he's making this, drawing this wonderful picture for us to be able to see this. Faith Without works doesn't work you know in verse 26 as he concludes this, how does he paint the picture of the main point? How does he end it for us here he says, "For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. the body church operates from the spirit within no spirit and the body is a shell, it goes nowhere, does nothing, has no life in it. you know it reminds me of that answer key it's worthless without the other books without the textbooks the showerhead's worthless without the water flowing through it it might look great but there's nothing there's no water going that's the intent water flowing through that that showerhead using James's picture in 226 i want you to look with me at one final text turn if you will to ezekiel chapter 37 this is the chapter of the valley of dry bones god shows ezekiel a picture A visual picture. Shows him a picture of the spiritual state of the house of Israel. Ezekiel 37. Isaiah Lamentations, Ezekiel. Daniel. That's where it is, okay? Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out, and the Spirit of the Lord set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Okay, a valley full of bones. Picture it. Do you see it? Okay, a valley of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were very many in the open valley. And indeed, they were very dry. He said to me, son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, I love his answer. (laughs) He says, the Lord God, you know. Great answer, Ezekiel, you know. Again, he said, prophesy to these bones. That's the first thing I want to point out to you. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. Ezekiel was obedient. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. Can you picture this? This is one of the passages in scripture. I I, I just would love to see this one. Valley of dry bones. And all of a sudden, as he's prophesying, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them. And the skin covered them over. Notice this. Listen. But there was no breath in them. There was no breath in them. Bones together. Sinews. Skin. No breath. What's he already said about the breath? The breath. With the breath they're going to do what? Live. Also he said prophesy to the breath. All right. So prophesy to the bones. Now it's prophesy to the breath. Prophesy and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may, what? Live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. Ezekiel obeyed. And breath came into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. And he says, he then reveals Ezekiel, he kind of opens the curtain. Ezekiel, this is what I'm talking about. I allowed you to see this because I want you to see the spiritual the principle here. This, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God. Now he's to prophesy to them. What's he going to prophesy? Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves, I will put my spirit in you and you shall, what? Live. Church. This is a great picture. This visual is not only for Ezekiel. To learn from, I believe it serves as a fitting picture to describe the life intended by God to the one who holds to faith. A faith that works together with works. A faith, a realization that by one's works, faith is made perfect, complete. A faith that breathes life, looking unto Jesus. A faith that lives by the Spirit. The Spirit gives life, church. It results in one walking in newness of life. So faith without works doesn't work. But faith, church, working together with works. That, according to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, 26, excuse me. That's the kind of faith that works. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for this good word. Oh, Father, I pray that we would take this word. That we would be quick to acknowledge what you have spoken. That, Lord, it would be our desire to walk in this way. It would be our desire to hold to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. To do so with works. To see that faith works together with our works. There's not a competition of one or the other. But Lord, I believe your word is very clear. That it's your desire to see in your children a faith that works a faith that is active, a faith that is engaged, a faith that is full of life. Father, I pray for this church, that there would be abundant life seen in the lives of these people. I pray, Father, that we would remember that picture of Ezekiel saw the valley of dry bones. And even when those bones were connected and the sinews and the the flesh were put on, they still had nothing in them because they had not yet had your life breathed into them. And Father, those of us here today in Christ who have the spirit of Christ in us, we have the life in us. And Father, I pray that we would be about living and exhibiting to a world around us. Exhibiting not just to the world around us. That's such a big picture. Let's, let's narrow that down and let's live that life in our own homes. Let's begin there. Father, let's exhibit the love that you've shown toward us. And to remember that we are your friends if we do what you command us. If we are obedient to your word. And we've seen some great examples today of the faith in Abraham, in Isaac, in Rahab. Thank you for those examples And I pray, Father, that there would yet be today here in this place examples in the days ahead of faith from young men here in this body, from young ladies in this body, from dads, from moms. There may be some single young ladies, some single young men. And I pray that all would be about exhibiting this faith that's spoken of in your word. And may you get the glory for all of it. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.